Well, it finally happened. The owners made their last and best offer on the CBA, and it wasn't good enough. The players rejected it, and Rob Manfred canceled two weeks of games. So what do we do from here? I sat down with Josh Neighbors of Locked On Nationals to answer everybody's questions about where the league was separate from the Players Association, and what do we do next? Stay tuned. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. It is 6.56 Eastern Standard Time right now. It is uh, Tuesday, March 1st, 2022. I am Josh Neighbors of the Locked On Nationals podcast. Joining me tonight is Lindsey Crosby of the Locked On MLB Prospects podcast. You can find him at Locked On Farm on Twitter. We're going to be putting this uh, podcast out through multiple channels, not just for the Nationals or the Farm. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, the lack of a deal that we got between the Players Association and Major League Baseball and really just answering a lot of the questions. I know a lot of you out there are diehard baseball fans, uh, but at the same time, part of being a baseball fan is not understanding financial intricacies. You don't have to know that stuff. Uh, I don't know that stuff. Lindsay has got very good perspective because this, this a lot of this stuff affects young guys, prospects, young players in the league. So almost like I'm not sure if folks out there listen to the daily or our, our own locked on today, I will be the Peter Bukowski of this podcast asking Lindsay questions so all of us can learn together about, okay, where are we? What what are we trying to settle? What does that mean? What is already settled slash could be changed? All of those things. So we're going to start at 6.57 right now, Eastern time. Yeah. And we funny heard, story. Go ahead. I was yeah. actually on standby for Locked On Today last night for when the deal was <laughs> finally done. And about 11 o'clock, we pulled the plug and said, just forget it. It's yeah. not going to happen. Well, They're not going to have a deal. We didn't get a piece of news till much later. Bob Nightingale, you know, back back in the game, which is one of the which is one of the fun, actually like positive fun narratives. I think of all this that we can enjoy. But we had Rob Manfred speak. I believe it was five Eastern time when he took the stage, and the big story there. And look, we can all parse out some other stuff that he said. Was the first two series of the season uh, are going to be canned? They are not going to happen. They will not be re- rescheduled. They'll not be remade. So uh, at this point, that's where we are. It's going to be 156 game season at this point in time. I'm not sure if any of those first series are four gamers. Uh, also, he said that they're going to meet again on Thursday in New York City. So that is the next date they're set to meet. And on an interesting note, there, Tony Clark in the press in the Players Association press conference, he said. We're willing to stay here and have the conversation Mm. tomorrow. We are willing to come back to the table tomorrow. I don't understand why Thursday is the soonest they can meet. So, well, this this brings to a really interesting problem because I think a big talking point is there's so much blame the ownership, blame the ownership, blame the ownership, blame the ownership. And you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but the example I gave is like if you ever watch Shark Tank, there are a bunch of extremely wealthy people in there haggling over small amounts of money to them for people's companies, and it's like, does this matter to them? In the long run, no, but they, they got to where they are because of how shrewd they are. So mm-hmm. ownership, I understand their point. But the, the problem I have, and Rob Manford was asked today about this, was the timetable. Lindsay, have we gotten an answer about why they did not start negotiating sooner? Because 
I think negotiations are natural. It's give and take, all those things. But the timeline does not make much sense to most fans. It doesn't make sense to me. No, and the timeline's really unusual because they instituted the lockout, and they said that was a defensive measure that they had to do. Uh, and then they did not give their first offer for 57 days. And right. the thing about the lockout, so nothing requires them to do that. The National Labor Relations Board has said, if you have uh, a, a collectively bargained agreement between management and between a union, which is what the Players Association is, and that agreement has expired, then as long as you are negotiating a new agreement, you can continue to work under the terms of the old agreement. Mm. So just so we're all clear, they did not need to cancel games. They did not need to lock the players out. They could be at spring training right now, getting ready for the season, while the Players Association is negotiating on their behalf with ownership. So that's an interesting facet that Mm. they did not have to do the lockout. They chose to do that, and then they chose to cancel games when, again, they did not need to. So when we when we look at the outstanding issues, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to list them and, and the, the big ones that we keep seeing. I think there's, what, three or four, would you say? Three, yeah. Yeah, three. We're going to list all of them, and then we're going to go through them individually and explain what they mean. So what are the outstanding issues as of this moment? Okay, so the three big things that are left to figure out is, one, the minimum salaries. And this is players who have less than three years of service time in Major League Baseball. What are their minimum salaries. The pre-arbitration... And they would still be under team control, right? Yes, yes. Okay. This is the years one through three of your time at the big leagues. And I'll get into service time in a minute and kind of explain the intricacies of that. Uh, The pre-arbitration bonus pool. These are players who are in that one to three years of service time who have won awards or been finalists for awards like MVP, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young. There's a pool of bonus money that both sides have agreed to create but have not agreed on the dollar amount. And then the big thing is the the CBT, the competitive balance tax. What is the threshold for the competitive balance tax, which works in essence like a soft salary cap? So where do you want to start on those? Let's go with the big one. You said that the CBT is the big one. So um, this would be functionally a salary cap for, uh, for baseball teams. Uh, and explain how does it work? Is there a luxury tax penalty associated with it? All of those things. So this is the big issue right now, the CBT. How do, how do you explain this? Okay. So the CBT is, one, it's not a hard cap. So the NFL, this is the salary cap. You cannot go over that cap for any reason at any time. You must get underneath it. The NBA and through the CBT, baseball has what's called a soft cap. You can exceed that dollar amount, but there's penalty. So at the end of the season, the the, the commissioner's office co- contacts your team and says, this is the dollar amount you were over the CBT. If it's the first year that your team has gone over the CBT, you owe a 20% luxury tax on every dollar spent over the CBT, which this year it was $210 million. That was the limit. So every dollar over $210 million, you paid a 20% tax on. If you're over the CBT limit in two years, that that penalty goes from 20% to 30%. Mm. If you go over it in a third consecutive year, that penalty increases to 50%. Now, at any point in time, if you spend one season under the tax limit, those penalties all reset. So you can spend two years over it, drop below it for one year, and then the next year, if you go over it, you're back to the 20%. 
Last year, only two teams went over. The Padres went over. I think they paid about a million and a half in tax. And the Dodgers went over and they paid about 20 million in tax. So, and this is why you hear teams all the time so concerned about getting under that tax. Now, is this connected to the salary floor? And I'm not sure if there's a different name for it in baseball, but explain how that one's going on because I've seen a lot about how small market teams are concerned about the height of the salary floor. Yeah. So the thing about baseball compared to say the NFL with the hard cap is a hard floor. So in the NFL, you are required to spend, you can't spend over the cap, but you can't spend under the floor. There's a minimum level of spending. NBA is the same way too. NBA is the same way. MLB does not have a formal hard cap. They don't have a formal hard floor. Now what they have is they have the revenue sharing system and the way it works, every team either pays into revenue sharing or receives funds from revenue sharing. That's based off of market size. That's based off of team revenues. But the way it works is you are required to use revenue sharing dollars for the improvement of your ball club. There (laughs) is not a specific dollar amount you are required to spend. You are just required to show that you are using those dollars. And is there an interpretation of what it means to improve your ball club? Is Is that open for interpretation? It's funny you should ask, because if you ask the Players Association, and you ask the union, they have different ideas. And there's actually a grievance right now against the Rays, the Pirates, the Royals, and the Athletics because the Players Association argues that that money should be used on salaries. And Mm -hmm. the teams are arguing, well, we're using that for our Dominican Academy. We're using that for player development staff to help offset coaching salaries. We're improving the product on the field. They're just not paying players with that money. So that's where the disagreement comes in. But again, it's not a mandated amount you have to spend because it's not a hard cap and a hard floor. It's a soft cap and a soft floor. And in the NBA, you do have to make up that difference, I believe. I think the Sixers did it when they were tanking, you know, Mm -hmm. like crazy back in the day for the process. They did have to pay out like Jason Richardson, all those guys, extra amount of money. Now, is this being debated? Is this part of the CBT conversation? Is there a floor conversation with the cap conversation? Are they tied? Mm -hmm. When the players initially began negotiating, they said one of the three big areas we want to address is revenue sharing. And in essence, they wanted a mechanism put in there where if you did not spend that money on salaries, you actually would not receive that money. So okay. they they had that initial ask when they came to the table, and that was one of the areas which MLB told them, we absolutely will not discuss that with you, and you have to drop that for us to even start negotiations. So, and they they would argue that what's the incentive? Because either we have to give that money to you, the players, or just not going to see it at all. Correct? Yeah, it was something where they said, you know, the mechanics of how we move money from team to team is something that management will decide on their own, and that's not something that we're going to involve the players in. And if you do want to have that discussion, we can talk about a hard cap and a hard floor, and that's where the players' association said no because they like the idea of not having a hard limit on spending. If you want to go spend all your money to buy a championship, you can do that, Steve Cohen. It's there. It's And the, the thing I want to ask now is, what is the gap? What is the player's gap? What is the gap to the owners? Uh, and pick your favorite adjective to describe this. Is it a gap? It is a chasm? Is it a small hill? Pick your favorite word to give the folks maybe a bit more context. So it is right now it it is a a a 
valley, but it should be a canyon. So Mm. last year, the CBT threshold was $210 million. The ownership has offered to start at 220 in 2022 and end at 230 by 2026. The players have asked to start at 238 and end at 263. But here's where you hear the talk about the owners have it so good in baseball. If you just, so the players are asking to have it at 263 at the end of this deal. If you went back to when they did the CBT and you raised the CBT the same amount that revenues increased, then right now in 2022, the CBT would be $297 million. So you've already seen revenues grow faster than the CBT because there's nothing tying the CBT to how much the teams actually make. They just negotiate the amounts. So it's it's only a small valley. I mean, first year it's 18 million, last year it's 30 million dollars, which is a million dollars per team, but right. it really should be a lot more because if it's tied to revenue, it should be at almost 300 million this year. And it's worth it's worth mentioning this this part of this. Generally speaking, tying those two things together does work. Yes, correct. It's, yes, it's most mostly the NFL does that. The NBA, know, the, the NBA, most leagues do that, and then they just had to figure out a brief drop, like you saw in 2020. You have to work that out yes. together. But typically, this works. The NFL has had labor peace for years because the players know exactly how much money they know. If the league makes more money, we will get more money automatically and the the one now there's some inefficiencies when it comes to this but like you know there are moments in 2016 i believe kevin durant goes to golden state everybody kind of says well this is is this really fair um but i would say if you compare it to bass or baseball like it's already kind of like that right the teams that are willing to spend a lot of money the dodgers red sox yankees like it they're you know and obviously there's more players involved in baseball so it's kind of already superfluous at that point anyway uh and you're not going to get a situation where it's like you know, in basketball, oh my God, Kevin Durant plus Steph Curry plus Clay Thomas plus Raymond Green. It's another great bat. And those teams, you know, that, that doesn't always work out for them. Just right. stacking riches on riches on riches. Yeah, a lot of teams. And, and the thing about the CBT is so many teams come close to it. But if they go over it, they do everything they can to get underneath it. The reason Mookie <laughs> yep. Betts is not, it's not a Red Sox right now is because he was up for a new contract the same year that they had to get under the CBT. So he got traded. The whole reason he got traded was because they had to get under the deal, or else Mookie Betts would still be would still be part of the Red Sox. Um, right. And and so you have a situation now where there's no cap on individual player salaries, but there in essence is a cap on overall spending. And a bunch of teams will come up within ten million dollars of it, but they're not going to cross that threshold because they have to pay that extra money out. Uh, all right. So you said this is the CBT is the first big issue. What would you say is the second most pressing issue or, you know, the gap is big enough to make it the most pressing? Uh, probably the pre-arbitration pool. Okay, so what this is, it, it, this is a new thing. This has been created out of nothing. Uh, but what this is, is players who are zero to three years of service time, who are finalists or win an award, this is extra financial compensation for those players. The Players Association suggested it and will be agreed to do it and right now they're divided on how much. The owner's final offer was $30 million, so it comes out to a million dollars per team to fund this pool. The, uh, the the player's last offer was $85 million, and the pool would increase by $5 million every year. Mm-hmm. So by the end of the deal, 
you're looking at a hundred million dollar pool. Now, is that to match revenues increasing? Is that the idea of having that pool increase with dollar amounts? The idea for the players is we know revenues are going to increase. We don't know how much. So we're just right. going to peg this to a flat number. But we do mm -hmm. want to ensure since revenues are going to go up that the these players who win awards are getting more of that money. Yes. And the reason you have this pre-arbitration pool is because one of the other things the players wanted to get done in uh, in this negotiation that the owners shut down was they said, we don't want it to take six years to get to free agency and right. three years to get to arbitration. So they suggested everybody gets to arbitration in two years. And ownership said, no, we're not changing that. And so the proposal then became, what's changed Super 2 eligibility from 22% to something else, 75. Now what is Super 2 eligibility? Okay. So when you appear in a big league game, when you come to the 25-man roster, you start accruing service time. What this is, is this is how we measure at the end of the year, are you a rookie or not? How many years have you been in baseball? And it's not if you play for a day, you get a year of service time. There's a definition. It's 172 days. Uh, now, the actual season, depending on when it starts from year to year, is around 185 to 190. So if you remember the whole situation with Chris Bryant, where Chris Bryant, they manipulated his service time, what happened was they kept Chris Bryant in the minor leagues so that when he came up, he finished the year just short of 172 days of service time. Right. He actually finished with 171. So at the end of the year, we look at your service time, and if it's 172 days, then we say you've got one year of service time. At the end of the year, if you have three years of service time, you're now in arbitration. If you have six years, you're now a free agent. Well, because he finished the year with 171 days, he spent seven seasons in the major leagues before he reached free agency, not six. So what Super 2 is, is they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Everybody who has between two and three years of service time, we're going to put them on a chart and we're going to sort them by how much service time you have. In the top 22% of guys, they're called Super 2s. We're going to send them to arbitration in year three. So you don't get to free agency earlier. You still spend six years before free agency, but you have two years of minimum salaries and four years of arbitration versus the standard three years of minimum salaries and three years of arbitration. And the idea there is he came up early enough in the year where he played for a majority of the season. He's going to get to go to arbitration like he had accumulated a full year of service time. Because you'd be surprised how many guys miss it by that much. Ronald Acuna... Well Chris Bryant, it, it brings it brings up the problem, Lindsay, is is that the whole point of that is not that as a product you're suppressing what we think could be young, good talent, guys mm -hmm. who put butts in seats, which is good for the owners, because you're trying to save money. No sport wins with that when you're trying yeah. to to and I understand why they do it, but like think about how flawed of a system it is. And it goes back and once again, I know I've been talking about basketball a lot, but you know, thinking about young stars in, 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 in basketball, like these guys are on their third or fourth contract by the time that they're, you know, up into their 28, right? 29. Mm -hmm. In baseball, like that's when you're seeing guys get the big ones. They're exceptions. But guys are, aren't becoming free agents until much later. And that's what the players union is trying to do. They're trying to shorten that gap up. And it, it – but it just – this is one of those where from the owner's perspective, it's very counterintuitive, Right. This guy could be a star for you, but we don't want to see how much of a star, how quickly, right? Exactly. And and 
I mean, oftentimes they're very qualified. Chris Bryant was rookie of the year. Yeah. You know, but yet he didn't get a full year of service. Yeah. I mean, he was good enough to be rookie of the year, but he wasn't good enough to start opening day with you. Right. He had to spend three years at AAA or three, three weeks at AAA. But this all kind of tie in the whole idea behind how long it takes to get to free agency and finally getting that big payday. That kind of ties into the third topic, which is minimum Mm -hmm. salaries. So the difference right now, this is the smallest difference of all of them. The difference between the league and the players is about $50,000. The players have gotten it to $725,000, and they want that to increase $20,000 every year. The owners have offered six seventy-five, dollars increasing by $10,000 every year. So this together would equal about $1.5 million in extra money a team would have to spend if they took the player's suggestion. But what connects all of this here so the reason that ML, that the Players Association has said we want to get guys to free agency earlier and get them to arbitration earlier is the average salary over the span of the last CBA went down 6%, 6. 6.4%, mm. despite revenues going up 30%. Right. But the median salary went down by 30%. So the difference mm. between average and median, um, for those folks who don't remember stats class, the average is we take Everybody in MLB, we add it up and we divide it to see what, if you took all of this money and spread it out evenly, what would you get? So it's gone down 6%. The median salary is we find the middle salary where half the players are above it and half the players are below it. So the median salary going down so much more than the average salary tells us that teams are are using more guys making the minimum. When your median's lower than your average, that means that you have a lot of low figures bringing down the median versus the average. If your median is higher than your average, then it's the opposite. So statistically, it tells us you have a bunch of players making the minimum. And actually, 54% of players in MLB on MLB rosters are not yet arbitration eligible. So half of all players are making that league minimum. Wow. that's And, and, and so that point right there... To me, makes this almost the most important because of how, of how it affects so many players. Mm-hmm. And this this is one of those where if you're like me and somebody kind of sees this thing, like this is where the players, I'm willing to say, I'll miss, I'm going to miss games for this because this isn't just about us making money this year. This is about the guy, you know, a lot of us will be playing next season and the mm-hmm. season after that. And this is about the future, you know, not just future generations, but like, all right, sets us up for the next CBA negotiations that yeah. we have. Because of the spread, widespread effect here, I know it sounds like a small amount that they're between. It's like, guys, meet in the middle or whatever. But if I'm the players, I'm saying no. Because of the because of how many people this affects, we're staying here. You come meet us. Or give us something else in return and we'll maybe make a little concession. Yeah, and and that's the thing is like the players have not only given ownership some of what they wanted, but they've also given up on a lot of their demands. Like, you know, their big demands were the revenue sharing change that was dropped, time to free agency that was dropped, and now they've dropped that third thing, time to arbitration. And instead, they're working on these limited sets of changes. But they've also given the league the expanded playoffs. So you expand to twelve teams. ESPN has already offered Major League Baseball. They have an agreement for $100 million for that package for the extra round you're going to have. So that's money. Um, na- that's national money, playoff money. Players don't get paid their salaries in the postseason. 
So your costs are a lot lower to put on a playoff game. Right. <laughs> yeah, which is so, which, what's it crazy. Uh, it's, it's just funny because I, I also cover football uh, or college ball as well. And I know you know some folks in Braves country. Uh, it's I, just ironic that we're having the college football playoff conversation, expansion you know, conversation as we're having the baseball one. Um, and, you know, that's something that we're going to get to. Now, is that set? Is there still some disagreement? Because, you know, we're in a second going to talk about things that are set in stone. It feels like there's there could be a shoe to drop. I know it feels like we're at 12, but I'm not sold that that's going to be set in stone. Yeah, so we're at 12 right now. The The owners wanted 14, and the players were very strongly against 14 because they want winning in the regular season to matter. If you're trying mm-hmm. to disincentivize tanking, which there's a draft lottery in here and things like that to do that, then you need to make the regular season matter. Uh, the only way I think the expanded playoffs don't happen in 2022 is the fact that the players have to agree to it unless you are waiting for it to be changed. So like any sort of changes with the on-field stuff either have to be agreed to by the players or there's a waiting period. So you may not get expanded playoffs in 2022 if MLB continues to play hardball and either doesn't want to pay for the games they're canceling or find some way to make it up to the players, they could always just withhold their consent to do it in 2022. All right. So once again, recap those big three we just went through. What are the three things that we're still working on right now? So the, the, the CBT, what is the amount of the CBT? The players want it to start at 230 and go up to 260. The owners want it to start at 220 and end at 230. Uh, the pre-arbitration pool, they've agreed that it should exist. The owners want it to be 30 million flat. The players want it to be 85 million and increase 5 million per year. And the minimum salary, the owners say 675,000. It'll go up 10,000 a year. Players want 725,000 and it goes up 20,000 a year. Those are the three big outstandings in the deal still. All right. So we're going to hit on what's potentially been agreed upon. But first, quick word from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by our friends from BetOnline and BetOnline.net. Football is over, but basketball is full steam ahead. We're in March. So March Madness is coming up. And oh, I'll tell you what, it's, that's the best event to bet all year. Best place to do it. BetOnline.net. Uh, and they don't just have basketball. They've got hockey, boxing, UFC, uh, odds for Olympic sports, even though the Olympics are over, and Vegas casino games as well. Head to their new website. You guys can go to BetOnline and BetOnline.net today. BetOnline. It's where the game starts. All right, so what's been agreed upon, Lindsay? Once again, Josh Neighbors here. I'm Locked On Nationals host. Uh, Lindsay Crosby, Locked On MLB Prospects host. So, Lindsay, what's been agreed upon? Are, are there some things that these two mortal enemies have come to say, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll shake hands on that part of it at least for yes. now? So they have agreed like- – like we said, to expand the playoffs. Uh, the players have agreed to allow the owners to do limited uniform advertising. So a patch on the jersey and a patch on the hat. And that money as of now is set to go to the owners. We don't know how much that's going to be. Uh, they have agreed for a universal DH. Uh, they, ha- they have agreed to do some sort of draft lottery. The consensus seems to be the first five or six picks. Uh, they haven't... this. They haven't for sure locked in how many, but they have agreed to do some sort of draft lottery. Um, Which I like. I'm actually a fan of that. Yeah, I am too. And I actually had a thing on my show a a few weeks ago about, I think you should take, you should do like a 
a tur- like a loser's bracket tournament to see who gets the, the first pick, but this is a so much that, so, simpler wait, so system you, to compile. So after they suck, you want them to then try to get, to get as far as they can. What I want to do is I want to take the team that had the best record that didn't make the playoffs, and I want to give them the first pick. I want you to be right. rewarded for trying to make the playoffs. That's what yeah. I want to do. And if you had the worst record in the league, you get the last spot before the playoff teams start getting their spots. Well, and this That's, is a sport too that we have to mention that does the, the incentive the incentive to win is not very high, um, just because you can take that check at the end of the year and just keep sucking and just keep taking that check, keep taking the check. Mm-hmm. That's why our friends like our you know our very own Ethan Smith are banging their head against the wall, being like, "This is awful." All of our players keep going to other places. Well, you know what? Now it's time to you know try to take a step and de- disincentivize that. Right? You got to be some kind of average, some kind of good. You can't keep trading away all of our best players. I'm with you. I actually think, you know, kind of almost a reverse lottery, lottery type tournament, whatever it is. It shouldn't just be you were awful, you get the pick because that pick might get good. You might try them again to the same exact thing. Yeah. And and there's been teams that have shown the model of we are just going to tear it down. We are going to intentionally be bad for quite a few years, get those draft picks and then build it back up. The Astros showed you could do that. The Astros lost over 100 games in multiple seasons. And then obviously they've made two World Series. They won one of them. And you look at payroll last year, the Pirates payroll, $50.3 million. Five teams spent less than $50 million on payroll. Three teams spent less than $17 million on payroll. And if you remember, they get around $91 million in their share of national revenue. And then they get revenue sharing dollars on top of that. And so there's no mechanism that requires them to spend that on salaries. And I think that you're never ultimately going to fix the economics of baseball until you can put in a hard cap and a hard floor and tie those two revenues for the sport. And because of the the dynamic between the large market teams and the small market teams, I don't think that MLB is ever going to agree to that unless they're forced to. Um, excuse me. People have been short on criticizing the players on this. Were they not diligent enough in not getting a cut of that ad money on the jersey and the shirt? That, to me is something I would say, all right, let's do it. But how about an 80-20 split? That's pretty fair to me, at least an 80-20 split. We see it in the NBA, and obviously we know that's tied to a percentage for revenue sharing. But if we're giving that to you, that's that's already extra money for you. Now, what if we, you know, sure, we're going to limit how much extra it is. But if the, on the Players Association, I'll say, all right, what about 20% for the players? That's totally fair in my opinion. My thought process was take something, take that pre-arbitration bonus pool, and directly tie it to one mm, of those things. Yes. It's like, hey, we gave you these two revenue streams. We're going to take the smaller of the two. Whatever you do, that money goes 75%, 80% to this thing with a minimum <laughs> amount. You have to do at least this amount. Or Your, that light amount. Like the, Your light didn't like that. Your light didn't like that. My light's cut off. I didn't like that option. Um, yeah, I, I think because that to me is like, if you're thinking about that as, as, a, as an additional revenue stream, it totally makes a lot of sense as you are fumbling, fumbling around in the dark. Can we find it? Can we get the switch? You go ahead, just go ahead and take care of it. Yeah, so because you saw us the NBA happen, right? We just saw the NBA. It's been happening the last five years. There were some concerns about there you go that, that they're happening, but like nobody really cares about international. Nobody complains international soccer at Chelsea or Bayern Munich or or Barcelona have it on there. And I actually think the I think the the future of many sports is like. I think the NBA is going to go to the soccer model here pretty soon. I, I think instead of Cleveland on the front, you're going to end up with, you know, uh, you know, Toyo tires or, you know, a Goodyear, and then put the Cavs thing right there. And you know what? 
Does that really hurt the quality of the game? No, it doesn't, doesn't really hurt that much. People buy, people still buy Neymar jerseys. They still buy Messi jerseys. They still buy jerseys for, you know, Christian Pulisic. And what does it say across the front? Sponsor name and patch. If anything, it requires you to market your stars more. And that's a criticism yes. that we've seen yes. levied against MLB a lot is if you're, if you're a Braves fan, you've never seen Mike Trout play in Atlanta. I don't think I don't think he's ever done it. I think the one time they came, he may have been out with an injury or something, or it may be right mm. before he was called up. And so it's it's something where if you do something like that, and I'm not saying that they should do that, but if you do something like that in baseball, you're almost required to market the sport off of the stars and not off of the New York Yankees because it could be named something else. Right. But it's just there's a lot about this economic system that if you were to do it from scratch, you would completely right. do it differently. Revise all of it, right. You would right. set this whole thing up differently. And I think that the dynamic between the large market and small market teams and the revenue disparity is not nearly as significant now as it used to be. And I think a lot of that is because the national money that comes in is so is so big uh, that, the, that MLB makes, whether it's due... MLB advanced media, whether it's through national marketing, the playoffs, all of that kind of stuff. And so I think you could institute a salary floor and it could legitimately work and every team could reasonably make it. They just won't well, do it. And those local TV contracts are so big too, you know, I didn't the national money, but like for, for those of you who aren't really broadcast inclined, there's such valuable properties because the number of hours of programming that it is think about 162 a year, Pre-game show, post-game show, games are usually around three hours. Takes about four or five hours of, of programming. You can replay it. You know, for my neck of the woods, there's a reason why there's two Massens, right? Masson is owned by the Orioles. There are two of them. Their their main function is to play like ACC basketball and Nationals and Orioles games. So that's obviously there too. And that just kind of shows you the big sources of revenue. Are there anything else that's that's come that's been an agreement that we're missing out? Is there anything that we actually you know we've made progress on? Or did you hit those things? For the most part, we've we've hit those things. The only thing that I personally want them to to cover that they haven't covered is they've talked about league minimum salary. I want them to talk about salaries for minor leaguers. And part mm-hmm. of that is obviously given what I do, locked in MLB prospects. I'm talking about these kids in the minor leagues. But while you talk about should the players in Major League Baseball make six seventy five a year or seven twenty five a year you have minor league players that are not making the equivalent of $7.25 an hour. They will right. make below poverty wages for a minor league baseball season. And so it's not like they're waiters. They're not getting tips. You know what I mean? There's, exactly. There's, and so and, that's and the thing. The justification would be that they're paying for their room and board and food. But let's be honest, at the end of it, I think they'd rather get a better salary as opposed to, you know, you housing and feeding them. And the, the horror stories, I think that's, the, that's been the one thing, Lindsay, this offseason, you see them all, and they are horror stories. Six or seven guys living in two-bedroom apartments, mm-hmm. people sleeping in the kitchen, guys with crap cars, eating ramen noodles, and PB&J. Like, this is, this is not how you want to build players up. It's not healthy for their progress. It doesn't give them a fair chance as, as individuals living in American society or as baseball players to really actually, you know, fill their potential when they're surviving, not – trying to make them thrive and reach potential. Yeah. And, and starting in 2022 organizations are required to provide housing for their minor leaguers. And so uh, advocates for minor leaguers, a great organization that's doing a lot of work to, to, to talk about these players and what they deserve and what they do. Uh, They're still trying to get specifics on some of this, whether it's hotels versus apartments, different kind of things, but they're required to provide 
um, transportation to and from the ballpark. They're required to provide food. They're required to provide housing. And that's a thing you should have done. And to me, the, the competitive advantage I feel like of having well-rested, well-fed, trained players in your minor leagues is so much greater than the cost that you're going to have to pay. And that's just not something we've seen an organization step up and say, we want to spend that, spend the revenue sharing dollars on it, Pirates. You're not paying the players. Use it somewhere else. So that's, that's an area where I think is once the Players Association and MLB can, if they could ever get on the point where they're in good terms with one another, that's the next area that needs to be tackled. All right, one more word from our sponsors, then we're going to hit some questions from our other hosts uh, for Lindsay here. But first, once again, quick word from the sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. You guys can go to built.com today. Built.com. Check out the collection of Built Bars they've got. Mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, and a few others. Uh, also, white chocolate cookies and cream this month. Uh, which is delicious. So you guys can go try that out as well. Most Built Bars have 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar with 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, dozens of net carbs. Once again, go to Built.com. That's Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com today. Today's show is also brought to you by RockAuto.com. Uh, you guys can go to rockauto.com today. If you've got anything of your car you need to change, fix, whatever, they've got the parts. Why choose to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? For example, a Honda Odyssey fuel pump is 353 from a chain store, 216 at rockauto.com. They're a family run business serving auto parts customers, do it yourselfers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com today to see all the parts available. For your car or truck, right locked on in there. How'd you hear about us box? That way they know we sent you. Amazing selection, always low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's rockauto.com. All right, a few questions here. A little bit of rapid fire, but um, where do you think league players, who draws the line on number of games missed? You know, my my tact is the players should take this thing as long as they need to. What's one year when we're talking about the future, the wellness of all of the, the dearth of players down the line? Who draws a line? When do you think that line is? So the owners don't like the early season games. Last year in December, they were talking about we may not start the season on time because of COVID and the protocols and everything. April games don't make a lot of money. A lot of teams, it's still cold. So they're fine with losing these games. They honestly would be fine if the season started June 1st. I think if this drags out into the middle to end of May, if you don't, if if it looks like you're going to miss a June first start date, that's when I think the owners start to get worried. Uh, now I don't know if it's necessarily know if it's enough for them to actually make legitimate concessions and make a deal because they make so much money from the playoffs. They were fine with a 60 game season in 2020 because they had the expanded playoffs and financially, even though they didn't fill the ballparks, they still made sufficient money off of having the expanded playoffs. So I think that the players have showed resolve. Now, something that the union has done is in past years, they withheld a portion of the licensing checks. So portion of the money you got for jersey sales, things like that, was held by the union. Last year, they held the entire licensing checks Mm. so that they could start paying guys this season during a lockout. So I think there's more resolve there from the players than people are expecting. And I think, kind of like you, I... 
at this point, I want to see the players hold out for an equitable deal versus just a owner slanted deal that's slanted 75-25 versus the 90-10 the owners have offered. Well, it, it'll just end up actually, you know, in, a, in some ways, that would put them on the hook for the next negotiation. If you don't put your collective in a good spot, it's on the next group of people to actually do that. And that can hinder another season down the line. So I agree. I, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to see games go by. And also, too, I just want to mention this again. Like the whole idea that the owners have to do it and need it and, and make it happen. Like, I, I think through this conversation, we realize yes, there are some places where they have to they have to do these things and, and make it happen. But there are some where you know they are business people and their job is to maximize revenues. So I understand mm-hmm. where they're coming from. This is not all the owners being you know these you know evil you know evil men sitting behind desks doing these things. As much as people think that's what it actually yeah exactly. So I think it's what it is. Like there is some responsible business stuff happening here. So I just yeah. want to add that as part of this. Like it's not all evil genius type stuff. It's not all evil genius type stuff, but I do think you're right when you say that you have to f- fix this at some point in time. And if right. the players it's, it's, cave, yeah. if the players cave now, you kick this can five years down the road right. and you're going to have to do this again in five years. And part of the reason this is so contentious now is the last two CBAs the players have kind of just rolled over and taken the deal the owners presented. And so now the Players Association, I mean, they hired a new union rep. The Players Association has had time to prepare financially to help the players out to get through it. I think that this is the one the players need to stand firm on this and get an equitable deal. Because if not, we're going to do this again in five years and you're going to well, keep having issues every five years. Because you see things like this is our final deal. It's like no, it's not. Like we're just gonna not let baseball ever happen again. This is not your final deal. This is not the end of the line. And I think the players called their bluff on it when they unilaterally said no. Right in like, like twenty minutes. Is, <laughs> like, like this is this is not your final deal. We like you. Do, okay, fine. You guys own a baseball team. You're gonna kill a sport. No, you're not gonna do that. And well, I, I I hate to be like you know believe in one guy, but like the Max Scherzer thing. Like these dudes are going, they're showing up, they're grinding hours. And you, I'm sure you saw that the picture the other day was that Max Scherzer arrives in his Porsche. Like there's a reason that he's part of this. Yeah. This guy is a different kind of dude. And I guarantee you at the table, he is going to be, he's an asset for them. So this is a resolute group. There were reports that some people on the owner's side were kind of off put by his, his, uh, his, his. <laughs> tenor of negotiations i love the thing the thing about a guy like max scherzer being in there is one he's he's competitive i mean he wants to do well but two he's not gonna be probably not gonna be playing in five years he's not doing this for him he's doing this for the other guys he shared a clubhouse with and so everybody talks about oh yeah, yeah he's come up in his porsche yeah most players are not millionaires when you position this as billionaires versus millionaires Over half of players are making the league minimum. They are not millionaires. They are closer to you and me and the people listening than they are to billionaires. So, so, And also, think about this too. Like Another thing that you have to understand is Max's contract that he just signed is not just – it's more beneficial to other people than it is to him actually. Uh, That set a precedent for an old dude getting paid. Like I know he's making a ton of money, but uh, he has set a precedent of a guy this age – so whenever 10 years, 20 years down the line, when Lindsey Crosby, your son, you know, is in the major leagues, you know, and, and is, uh, I'm not sure how it was, but whatever, he turns 38 and he's won he's four Cy Youngs. He's three. So 35 years when he's won three or four Cy Youngs, he's like, Max Scherzer got paid this money, right? Yeah. yeah. Max Scherzer got paid this money. But it's, that's what it's about, right? It, yeah. Next, you know, even Juan Soto can claim, all right, well, there is somebody making 40, 40 a year. 
Now I know he's yeah. older, but I'm 23. Point to that. So like this if guy. If he gets 40 like, AAV, why can't I get 40 AAV? Yeah. Right. That's, exactly. That's Soto 20, argument. Um, and you yeah, saw exactly. him turn down 30 something the other right. supposedly before the lockout. Yeah, so is you know Max Scherzer taking that big money? It was not just about Max Scherzer. Also, he's playing for the Mets, so you know he's. I guarantee you, he's not actually one hundred percent pleased about that. Anyway, anyway, uh, another. No, you got me. You good? Oh, we're good. I'm there. You're, All right, you're we're there. All right. Yes. All right, we're good. Okay, so um, who will from where we're positioned right now? Who will end up settling more overall from where we're currently positioned? The players always end up seeding more, just position of power. But from where we are right now. Who do you think gives more in, in when we reach a final deal? If there's if the deal is agreed to in a month or less, it's the players who gave more from where we are right now. If the take if it stretches out longer than a month, it's going to be the owners. And it's and the question here is just how much can the players hold together and hold out and make the owners come to them. And the closer we get to a sixty game season with playoffs the closer the owners are going to realize, no, we've got to get this done. Especially now that you're not in a pandemic like you were in 2020 and there's so many other options out there. So if it gets done in the next month, the players gave more. If it stretches longer than that, the owners gave more. When do you, and last question to you, when do you think a deal gets done? I am expecting us to start a season somewhere around the beginning of July. Honestly. Wow. I'm wow. expecting us to have it to, to this to drag on a lot longer than it needs to. Hmm. Which is crazy to think after what happened at like one o'clock last night, right? There was so much optimism, but now mm-hmm. we're here. Uh, Lindsay, I appreciate you just you doing this. You came home from work and hopped right on. <laughs> I'm on vacation in in the Dominican right now with the family. I, I that's why I was had a little presidente, you know, to celebrate <laughs> the awful occasion of not getting a deal done. Uh, but it was a pleasure. Thanks for answering all the questions. Where can people find you and your work and all of its variety? So. I'll- I am on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. My show is on Twitter uh, at Locked On Farm, and you can find Locked On MLB Prospects wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Please do us a favor, it's, like, and subscribe. I'm not going to plug mine because mine only matters to, na- to Nationals fans. I just want to say, guys, nobody covers baseball from top to bottom, all these things like Lindsay. So make sure you guys check out his stuff. He's all over it. If you want reports on your team's players, prospects, and things like this that are just aren't pros- you know, just prospect related, Lindsay's your guy. Lindsay, appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Oh. Um.